welcome to another episode of Uh This is the second part of our earlier episode, so if you haven't listened to that, go listen to that first. But uh, our Flail Forward is a podcast about game design, or RPG design specifically, and amateurism. I am your host, Fred, and I have with me Karas Noor. Hello. And Jonathan. Hello, folks. And Cavoir. Mostly in your heart. And Mark. Hello. And Rob. Hey, everybody. How's it going? All right. And if you couldn't tell, we're talking about the social contract still. Um, and now, since we've defined the social contract a lot, sort of, as best we can, um, we're going to talk about common sense. Um, because I think a lot of what people will say about the social contract is, oh, you can just you know figure that out. Just do it by common sense. And uh, I, I think most of us are going to agree that that's not the best way to do it. Yeah, because common sense isn't. Exactly. Also, nobody agrees on what common sense for this would be. So even if they think they do, that leads to all kinds of, yeah, no. <laughs> common sense as a term implies consensus and it just never exists. Mm-hmm, um, no. Or or it can't be counted on yes yeah 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 consensus can exist but yeah if we just say common sense we don't know what each other's what we're consenting yeah. to yeah. <laughs> with each common, other yeah common sense is just really just the sum total of your personal experience which yeah you know and and for example the fact that i grew up in a town with three thousand people and the closest town with that had five thousand people was uh 130 kilometers away and rob grew up in a city of what 10 million people yeah yeah i mean the difference of those common those experiences are are nothing nothing common about and yeah so so yeah i i hate common sense i hate it at work because i work in a uh, safety sensitive environment and people say you should use your common sense and people die like when when that like when that term is used like people die jesus uh, just because yeah if common and, and sense I, was I, a I, real thing organizations like osha would not need to exist yeah yes and <laughs> i i don't mean that in like uh you know every time someone says that someone dies i just mean you know if the guy uses common sense and he didn't stick his finger in there was like well he didn't know so <laughs> you know mm-hmm. <clears throat> um well there are that's some why you just uh, never stick that, your finger yes that's right never stick your finger where <clears throat> you wouldn't stick something else your dick yeah but yeah <laughs> thanks fred that was not at all implied <laughs> <laughs> well you know sometimes you're just gonna come up yeah yeah so that's why i personally hate it but i i believe it it basically applies the same way to this although you know it just hurt feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and it's about you know everybody has like symbols and things that they think mean something, but which might mean something to somebody else. So implying that everybody understands everybody else's behaviors and symbols is a very hard thing to do. Yeah. Plus, something that I really don't like is it's often used uh, in a derogatory way. Which is very frustrating to me. Like, if, well, it's if not they... derogatory to to common sense itself. It's derogatory to the person 
supposedly not exercising it. Exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. That's what I mean. And that's frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's like, really, why are there instructions on shampoo? <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. Chances are, if you don't know how to sham- use shampoo, you don't know how to read the instructions either. <laughs> That's probably true. But some somewhere, somebody has made it to 20 without shampooing once. Or learning you know, how to read. Or learning oh, how wait. to read. No, wait, they learn they how to read. They have to learn how to read. No, you know, that's you, pictures. You know, you grew up on like a hippie commune or something like that, and your parents never had shampoo. I can see that happening. And then you go to shampoo because you're like, what's this shampoo? And you want to try it. And then you do. And you're like, well, I don't know. Rinse and repeat. What? This stuff tastes yucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, yeah. Well, I don't think anybody's putting it in their mouth. I hope. I hope that's not a thing. But like, you I know. Mean, it does smell good and not look entirely unappealing. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that herbal essence stuff that actually does smell like tasty. Yeah, I mean, people drink, like, um, transmission fluid every once in a while, like kids, because it smells sweet. Or um, That's antifreeze. Cool, or antifreeze. antifreeze. Well, yeah. both. Um, antifreeze, but soda, but transmission fluid also. Fred, oh, I think a lot of the questions that I had about you were just answered. <laughs> um... <laughs> <laughs> I... <clears throat> I want to know what those questions are, but I don't want to know well. <laughs> That's, yeah, another episode. <laughs> another episode. So, so moving away from the concept of heavily scented donut glaze. Thank <laughs> God. All right. Um, yeah, moving away from that. Uh, okay, so is there anything else anybody has to say on... Can we just kind of put it down as not generally a good idea? I mean, obviously, use some... But it's not. Yes. It shouldn't be the yeah. only thing you have. It shouldn't be the only thing. There is. There is going to be in, in most games. This will be actually the primary mode of setting up a social contract. Yes. Yes. And you, use well, your common kind of... sense to have a talk about the social contract. <laughs> 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 well, <laughs> we kind of we kind of buried the lead on what this specific topic is, which was. Is common sense the worst social contract ever? Well, uh, I didn't right. want to say that, um, because I I don't think it's the worst social contract ever. I mean, you can go lower, um, and ult- ultimately, I don't also think that's a social contract because a social <laughs> I think that contract applies as agreements. That. <laughs> that ten pages was way worse than common sense, man. I'd take common sense over that ten pages any day. Okay, mm-hmm. so. Okay, well, the 10 pages aside, or anything, you know, completely, like, absurdly legislative like that, I think social, or common sense is the worst social contract ever, because it's completely formless, and it's, like we've been discussing for the last 10 minutes, it's not common. There's like it's the it's worst a valuable because, part of a yeah. larger scheme, but by itself, it's really damn terrible. Hmm. The the reason I think of it that way is it's the <clears> worst <throat> because it implies consensus that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's the one that's going to be broken the most frequently and the most easily. That 10-page thing that people sign, for better or worse, it's it's something tangible and everyone knows what's on it. I mean, theoretically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why the 10-page thing is better than common sense. Mm. Yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah. I'm I'm not convinced. (laughs) <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> because only because I've been most of the games I've played in were the common sense kind. And nobody like there there weren't those kinds of transgressions because it was just sort of like if somebody started moving there, like they could kind of read the room. Um and so <clears throat> maybe maybe common sense in conjunction with reading the room is good enough for most people and i think for most games it is um and i think that 10 pages is, is just I, I don't think that's appropriate for any game <laughs> well i think that there there's sort of two extremes of the the same uh phenomenon like i think in terms of games um this idea of a social contract has existed on a um I don't know, an innate level. Uh, it's sort of an emergent property of like the game itself. We don't really define it. We haven't defined it for a lot of the games that have existed in the past, whether they're uh, whatever tabletop games, card games, or RPGs. But I think now that we're starting understanding more of what constitutes a game and the properties, like we're we're trying to theorize on how games are created and what exists within them and part of that is a social contract that exists among within the game space so as the designer being able to acknowledge that and choosing what aspects of that you want to share with the players of the game Uh i think is very important i think it's it's critical that the game designer know that this is a concept that exists and communicate what the intent is for the players however they choose to whether that's explicit or implicit um, I think that for us as designers, we need to have an understanding of it and know that it's going to exist. Whether we say this is the 10 pages that you need to sign or we say nothing at all, um, this thing's going to happen. So just to clarify how we want that to be interpreted by the players of our game. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, it, it, it's it's another aspect or responsibility of design mm-hmm. that acknowledges that there are behavioral and psychological aspects to the play of the game. Yep. And not, you know, and the game is, is not just these are the rules and this is when and why you use them. Right. <clears throat> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, to be clear, I wasn't saying that we shouldn't include talk about the social contract and that we should leave it up to common sense in reading the room. I was more trying to say that that for most games that will be enough. But mm. but if there's no there's no downside to talking about it. I didn't want to I didn't want to make I don't want to come across like I thought it wasn't worth um considering with that comment. <clears throat> well, no, I, yeah, that's yeah. true. And 
but the fact that we're even having this discussion is an acknowledgement of common sense plus reading the room didn't work some of the time. Yeah, yeah. no, hundred percent, hundred percent. I completely agree. And yeah, and that to- the thing about role playing games, like so many game groups started with you know a couple of friends just getting together to play a game and the the they don't start out where you really consider these things uh very often obviously not all the time and we come to it at diff- from different places and and different times but i remember when i first started playing god 100 years ago or whatever it was yeah <laughs> obviously this stuff was nowhere near anyone's no uh, top of mind yeah when i started playing which was thir- thir- jesus 30 years ago yeah this year um <laughs> i was eight for fuck's sake and so it's yeah. like yeah i'm not i don't <clears throat> none of this stuff was even i didn't have vocabulary for it let alone consider it you know yeah mm-hmm. uh, and the person who was running the game was also eight or no <laughs> nine. i'm sorry so they were a veteran yeah yeah they were veteran yeah well only because his sister had brought D home from college and so he was like oh this is great and she had run him through like adventures like oh dude you can get your friends play oh it's so cool and that's how we got started but it's like there was no yeah there was no discussion of any of this because none like nothing we were doing in the game could possibly but up against something inappropriate, really. Well, you didn't realize like, that it could. No, we Rig- didn't realize that well, it could. It was for us. It was like a video game, but better because you could do anything you wanted. It was like it was un- like a ruleless video game, you know, in a sense. And um, that was that was the main attraction. But it didn't it didn't include like for so, so, somehow we all kind of got this stuff, like. We yeah, all sort of it, like it was, understood the, the it was completely prepared. implicit. Yeah. It was completely implicit. Yeah. And that's why that's why I wanted to make it clear that I think that the 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 common sense provided you have the kind of group where you um uh where it 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 has to develop organically, you know, there's no there's no other way to do it to have because then it then it actually does become a consensus thing. I think the common sense thing when you're sitting down with strangers like is never going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 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 common sense thing when you've had an established gaming group for a good amount of time, I think that's I think for most groups that's probably fine, and they don't need to discuss parts of social contract because their games just don't hit that material because. I mean, for us, it was like, so when, when, when we started going through puberty, we were still, we were still gaming, but like the last thing you want to do as a 14 year old boy is role play a sex scene with another 14 year old boy. It's like, it's, it's completely embarrassing. And I'm not, not in terms of like, not the gender thing. I'm just saying like, oh, you are so pretty. Uh, and it's just like, ugh, it's just, it, it, like, yeah. there's, there's just like this factor of like, ick, uh, I don't know how to put it any 
different than that. Like, but like it was not something trying, we were interested trying to, in. Trying to apply social skills that are undeveloped in a fictional sense. Yeah. I I think one of my uh, amendments to that um, before we move on fairly quickly is that I think like because you were talking about doing this with your friends, I think that there is already a social contract that has been established there to a certain extent um, because you're a group by, of people who know each other. Yeah, by just just by the mere existence of the friendships. Mm-hmm. So that then there's uh you know you can then have this you since you already have this made or you know have an understanding of it there's you don't you know you don't push at the thing you don't push at things or misunderstand things in the same way as you would with strangers and not not to say that your um your conclusion is wrong um because often, you know, groups of friends come together and play a role-playing game, and they already have that contract, so you don't need it. Um, but still, that I don't think that means that you shouldn't have it. I mean, I, not that you weren't saying that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Um, okay, so let's move on um, to a question that I posed um, partly because I, it interests me personally. And that is, can we or how do we break the social contract respectfully and safely? Um, and how do we put that in design? And I think the reason I put this in here is I, I started thinking about games that um, are supposed to push that a little bit and make you talk about things that might be uncomfortable. Uh, things like Monster Hearts or um, other games that are explicitly about dealing with sexual themes for a lot of people that's very uncomfortable but when you have that safe space you can push the um you can push the uh, the social contract or even break it in ways that could be constructive though i'm not totally sure about the actual viability of that statement i mm-hmm. think if you're playing a game like monster hearts or World of Darkness or Cthulhu or anything that's <clears throat> contains themes that are edgy or taboo in society. Choosing to play the game has already refined the definition of the contract. Yeah, I'd but, agree completely. So you'd have to break it within that redefined space. And I don't know if it's possible, you know, whatever the space is, how it's defined by the game or the players or <clears throat> the, the fiction happening. I don't know if it's possible to break the contract. Um, the I would, I would positive say, way <clears throat> in a positive way. I would say, yes, it is possible, but you do it sparingly and carefully. Okay. Um, um can you, okay. Give then example? how, yeah, give an example because I I can't think of one. Okay. So, um, okay, I'll give you a specific anecdote of when I when I definitely crossed crossed a line. Um, I was running a game of Call of Cthulhu, and it was um, the premise of the game was the a player's relative had sent them um, 
had sent them a diary and um and and then disappeared and anyway they had to go to the like swamps of louisiana and investigate this thing it's backwoods backwater town type thing so obviously there's a cult worshiping some weird swamp god or something and uh obviously <clears throat> obviously right <laughs> and but i i want to start dropping clues like subtly right and one of the things i did and this is the thing that crossed the line is i described them um stumbling across a couple of children engaging in a ritual sex act and sacrifice like like acting out what they saw the adults doing um and they were like the entire table was like whoa that's but like i didn't i didn't describe it in detail and but it was like a very i was i knew i was going to push like in that moment and i wanted to make sure that the thing i showed the players was unsettling in a way that they weren't expecting because what they were expecting was some kind of monster or some sort of like something like that and i showed them cult behavior emulated by children and that I imagine in most games with most crowds that would be crossing the line, but because I knew what I was doing and I knew my I know my friends' tolerances, like it it wouldn't. But so I guess it wasn't really breaking the social contract, but it was it was definitely pushing, pushing the boundaries. Yeah, I was pushing the boundary a little <clears throat> bit, you know. Like I I like and, and it's not a trick I've ever used again in in a game. But I uh, guess oh sorry, go for it. No, I was just going to say that was that's 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 the anecdote I, that comes to mind when I think of like, could you do it <clears throat> respectfully and safely and yeah, sparingly and carefully is is mm. how you do it. Yeah. I think now that listening to you and hearing other people, mm. I think maybe I should have said like bend it or something like that. Uh, you know, push at it and you know find those those lines and veils and stuff like that, rather than necessarily break it because mm -hmm. breaking it has other implications, but doing, doing things that push at those taboos that are established by the social contract. Right. Is yeah. to me, something that is um, a very powerful thing that role-playing games can do. Um, but at the same time, you have to be as, as Rob said, um, you have to do that carefully and sparingly. I um, think everyone has to admit that whatever the bounds of the social contract are, there's going to be some flexibility that needs to be accounted for. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because treating it as a completely rigid construct is just going to create problems sooner than maybe it should okay i see i i take the opinion that i don't think there is a way that you can still break the social contract and i think it's because of how i how i view what a social contract is and even mm -hmm. taking rob's anecdote i think that your game happened in a context where your social contract was implicit 
Like, I think you already had an understanding of your players and you knew what yeah. things would be okay and at what points you could push certain topics with your group um, yeah. to not make them uncomfortable. But had anyone at the table beforehand said, listen, these are topics that I don't want to have come up, and you were to purposefully touch on those topics, I think that is sort of the the yeah. breaking of the social contract. That's the the agreement that you make with the players of I'm going to respect everybody here. And it yeah. sounded like you still did this in like as respectful of a way as you could, considering what the the content was. Um, well, Rob did admit that 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 the whole scenario did not actually break the social contract, but yeah, it does exactly. demonstrate how far it can be pushed. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, right. yeah. That's why I amended my my previous question. Because breaking the social contract is a bad thing, but bending it might not be. Yeah, and I think I think that's part of like what constitutes that social contract is all of those safety mechanics as well. Like you you started this game, and I'm assuming there was no like lines and veils established beforehand. No. <clears throat> so this no. became like pretty uh, fluid, and that gave you some more leeway than might otherwise have been there for mm-hmm. how you wanted to to pull on some of those uh topics yeah um had this been like a liner veil you might have had a different take on it but because it was undefined you you saw the opportunity to sort of um play with that um and it's the same way that like some groups might have that as defined topics in lines and veils and other groups might use the x card where we say maybe we don't really necessarily need to like describe every topic beforehand but if anything comes up we can touch this card and right we'll we'll skip right on by and that gives a little bit of uh a flexibility to what you can do within the social contract but you've agreed on that term uh so i don't know that it's exactly breaking i think you're still playing within the social contract that you established it's just that where those boundaries were were vague like you yeah, yeah, I think that's a more accurate description of what I was saying. Yeah. I mean, as, as I was going through the anecdote, I was like thinking to myself, wait a second, I don't think I actually did break the social contract here. <laughs> um, but, you know, <clears throat> no, I think that's accurate. I think I, 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 I was pushing at a boundary that I knew was there, but I didn't, yeah. I didn't go overboard with it. Right. And, and, and yeah, that's, that's, imp- that's an important distinction. Like it, it, it's one thing to, push at a boundary and the you know and i had reasons for pushing at the boundary because my players um when they i've got like something of a reputation in my game group for running fun games with call of cthulhu i always run one shots of call of cthulhu i i i've run i tried running the masks of nyarlathotep campaign once but by the I, I don't know how much you know about it but it's like it's it's a it's a fairly thick adventure <clears throat> and we weren't even uh, a sixth of the way through before like the original crew was all like com- almost completely nuts <laughs> and it was just like oh okay this is not like very tenable in terms of we're us getting through this to the end so after that i just ran one shots um mm-hmm. and i all you know they <clears throat> they know I like horror movies and they know I like reading horror books and, and, and I have 
that's my aesthetic. And so they expect a certain level of boundary pushing. It's like going to a horror movie, you know, right. it's like, right. it's, 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 you know, it, it is implicit in the social contract yeah. that like, you're, I'm going to push some, I'm going to try and push some buttons, but like exactly. not, not too hard, but that's right. yeah. So, so in a sense, this is the room that's already been self-read for you. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, because they're sitting down to play a game called Cthulhu with me. They know mm-hmm. they're going to get a certain experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the, we can move forward. Everyone knows the expectations going in. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I think what we can say then, is it's, it, it's nearly impossible or really you pretty much can't break the social con- contract respectfully. Um, but you can push at it in a way um, that is respectful, though you have to do so carefully and sparingly. Yeah. Because there's a reason that the social contract is in place. And if you push, you know, pushing at it implies you might break it. And so you have to be very careful about those, those, that line that you're, you know, kind of putting your toe on. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So if actually if we're talking about that, we should just talk about lines and veils. Um, I know we brought it up in the last part. But let's um, dive a little deeper, talk about their definitions, talk about their use. Um, so should maybe I will just read off some good definitions mm-hmm. that we found, and then we can talk about them and whether they're right. So uh, these are definitions from RPG Stack Exchange, um, though I th- they're based on things that came from The Forge. Um, so anyway, a line is, well, a line, a hard limit, something we do not want to cross. Lines represent places we don't want to go in role-playing. A veil is a pan away or fade to black moment. When we veil something, we're making it a part of the story, but keeping it out of the spotlight. Think of it as a way to still deal with certain themes while avoiding having to describe them in graphic detail. Uh. The only problem I have with those definitions <clears throat> is that is is really nitpicky, and it's about veils not putting things in the spotlight. I think it should be revised to say veils push things off stage. Well, that's okay. kind of accurate because yeah, you have you you can like a veil would be having the players stumble upon, um or maybe hear a story about a, a woman who was raped, right? So rape, that's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy topic. And, uh, but you don't, you don't describe it. You, you, you say, show, you say that this happened. You are, you even, don't even say that it happened. You imply it strongly and you don't, you know, you don't have to go through any of the gory details, but you can give, uh, uh, you, you that, that sets well, up am- the story there without, but it's an offstage occurrence, right? Well, what I meant by push wasn't to say that these things never appear on stage. It's that the veil, when they do appear, pushes them off. The veil pushes them off stage. Um, so I think what he's what he's saying is like, for example, if you're at if you're at a gaming table and someone says, "Okay, <clears throat> these two characters have sex," you go, "Okay, they are kissing. They are going to have sex." 
But we are going to fade to black and move to the next scene that is after the sex or in some other part of the timeline. So you don't you know, right. talk about exactly. the... so that So there's not the time spent of narrating through the carnal act. It's just, oh, it's the lead up and uh, now we're going somewhere else now. Yeah, but you have the same thing I just described, just in a different order. I mean, because I'm just, I'm not, I don't have the lead up. I have the, 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 the aftermath, but it's still the same thing as the, mm-hmm. right? Or my well, I know you're, you're right in that the uh, a veil I think is for your saying, okay, we can bring this up as a topic. You know, we can say that rape is a thing that exists, but we right. do not want to right. get into the gory details of how that rape occurs. Right. For exactly. Example. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Okay. okay. Um, okay, so then how do we put these things into our games? Um, I, I, I'm assuming that the answer to this is just going to be, if we feel this is important, at some point during a game we say, okay, there's these things called lines and veils. Here's what they are. And you should, if you would like, talk about your table with them and what everybody's lines and fails are and probably you know have somebody at the table make a list of what those should be just to make sure that you stick to those in my game i um i basically say keep it pg-13 if you wouldn't be comfortable describing this scenario to a 13 year old don't do it um with the caveat being like if you have a well-established group of friends then it's probably fine but it is it is a game designed to have a pretty bad setting that's not not a good time and uh so there are going to be and and war just makes monsters out of everybody and that's part of the theme of the game and so i couldn't i can't in a good conscience tell people to leave um those kind of things out but i do want to say like you know keep it pg13 keep it keep it you know there i mean i am effectively establishing a veil in that sense as well you're attempting to impose you're attempting to impose some kind of mm, moray onto the gameplay which you presume the players will adhere to but they have no obligation to no they don't and there's no no exactly it's a sidebar where i where i say this like i it's 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 a Sidebars entitled "How far should you take it?" and then I just sort of outline what I think is appropriate. <clears throat> but um, I don't know if I were to lean heavily into like the adult themes of the game, it would be a different game in many senses. Yeah, <clears throat> there's a lot of games are designed probably not deliberately to be fairly neutral with regard to intensity of the themes. Mm -hmm. I mean, Ashes has its own themes that are not bland. Right. But, you know, if you look at most and the other games we've cited before, Monster Hearts, Mm -hmm. World of Darkness, Cthulhu, they all have stressful or uncomfortable themes built in right right but the social contract beyond that is the group 
deciding what their collective limits are. This is the group deciding what words are in the room to be read. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. So actually, Cavoir, do you have anything specific to say about lines and bales? Are there any way that you implement them when you run games or when you design games? Okay. Anything that hasn't been brought up before. Um, I do. I said it is generally my preferred, like, of the methods of doing it. I do try to establish lines of bales, and they do vary from game to game. And, but yeah, I, I try to make clear that X card is a valid thing that it, that says that I try to have the conversation, even if it's with the group I've already run for. But beyond that, I don't really have much to add to this. Hmm. So when you sit down to run a game, you don't have the conversation of, okay, what are things that people aren't um, that is not what I said. About. That is not what I said at all. I said I explicitly have it, even if it's a group I've already run a different game for. So, okay, I'm I'm sorry. I must have missed that. I was trying to make sure that I yeah, understood. No, no uh, that is a something I try to do. Um, sometimes I don't think I like with people I've played before. I don't think I think quite yet. That yes, you can stop the game if you think it's making you uncomfortable. Because, and it's not making you uncomfortable in a way that you can deal with like action. Like, uh, I don't know how to explain it better than that. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, we've discussed the X card in previous episodes, and I think this is the first time we've gone into depth about lines and veils. <clears throat> so, I think it needs to be said that. The X card and lines and veils are distinct tools with the same purpose. Yes. They're not mutually exclusive. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like no. You can use both if you think yes. it's and appropriate. That's general, uh, generally where I fall is using both. Um, yeah. I when I when I run games, I generally I think there is a lines and veils, but I tend to keep them more implicit. Um, like I, I'll generally ask before I start a game, is there anything you guys really don't want to talk about? Um, and, but beyond that, I tend to just have the X card out there because I prefer the reactionary part of it. Yeah, no, you see, the, the thing is that question that you just asked, that you say you ask is basically what most of the lines of bales. Like it should mm-hmm. get at the answers that are that. Yeah. Well, but I, I don't, that's, I, what I'm trying to say is I, it's, it's a very informal thing rather than yeah, the like, formality of, well, it's not informal. It's just less structured than explicitly calling out the terms, lines and veils. Hmm. You're still asking the players for their limits. Mm-hmm. Yes. That, that is like, I don't say, okay, here, give me your lines and veils. I, I asked the same question Fred does and i Try to make sure that people don't feel that they are allowed to answer and they won't ruin the game with their answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, and yeah, that's, and that's part of establishing a contract is, is asking. And the, I think one of the things that bothers me is that 
is that that's always put on the GM is to be like, as, as a, as a person, you have to be the one to establish that social contract. But I mean, it makes sense within the social roles. It, it, that, that's part of the, the GM being like a sensible leadership role. Um, but, and a lot of, especially older games, let the GM and their leadership role do or presume that they will do more of these kinds of things exclusively. And as, as role-playing understands itself more and more we're recognizing like i said in the last episode ways that the players should be participating in these kind of um administrative duties so that the gm has even a little bit less to do yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so let's, uh, so uh, do a little bit of context for our listeners actually first before I introduce next to this next topic. Um, this, this topic kind of came out of a previous discussion that we had um, because I, as a person, um, kind of like being a bit transgressive in my, like, uh, in role-playing games and other things in sexuality and romance and so i've always liked role-playing games that have sex and romance in them and when discussing games that are like that um like monster arts and the game i am trying very hard not to talk about uh thank you you're welcome um i (laughs) i wanted to talk about like where is the place for sex and romance in rpgs because that's where i think a lot of people have lines and fails not necessarily around romance but around sexuality um and if we're not talking about violence, which is where a lot of people have a lot of veils. So I wanted to talk about specifically um, like where the place for that is and how we establish lines and veils about that, just to, to give an example and to get us a bit into the nitty gritty. Um, one of the, the terms that Monster Hearts uses is protecting your heart um, when it talks about like the X card and other ways to deal with the possibly uncomfortable content of that game and so let's let's talk about protecting our hearts um i i i know that like this kind of stuff can make car uncomfortable so do you want to talk about it i don't find it i don't find it uncomfortable i just find it gratuitous a lot of times okay um what do you mean by that can you explain um okay let's Let's assume a stereotypical D&D game, all right. which is all about run around, running around killing shit and gaining power and yada, 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 because that's what D&D is about. So within that campaign, if one of the PCs has to spend time seducing the princess slash betting her whatever that's a really huge digression to the overall 
theme of the game. So, okay. Uh, so I, I'm going to put words in your mouth here, possibly, but I'm trying to understand what you're saying. And that I think what you're saying is that what bothers you about this isn't necessarily the content of what is happening, but it's because it directs the attention or it moves the spotlight onto one person for a long period of time. Is that what you kind of mean? Is that what you it's, mean? Oh, I got <clears throat> Let me see if I can rephrase the argument. Okay. It's the, <laughs> it's the, uh, it's, it's playing the game for, for an ulterior kind of titillation and not for the game itself. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's sort of getting your rocks off while like it's the magical realm stuff where it's <clears throat> where, where, you know, somebody is clearly enjoying it just a little too much. And it's, you know, like, I understand. I, I, is that kind of what you're getting it, at? Yeah. It <clears throat> not just sex, but frequently other things too can turn into a really deep tangent. Mm-hmm. That's kind of itself a distraction from the from the from the from the main arc of what's happening. Which I can see because I think part of that reason why is that this these kinds of topics generally involve a level of maturity to handle like if you find that um you can avoid like the whole category of topics and just focus on what is this game experience intending to provide and then we don't need to get into violence or sexual content or substance abuse etc um then these are these are topics that some people gravitate towards because of potentially like they're they're taboo in a way or they they um, like these are the things that as a kid you are told in society are are uh, forbidden I guess or they're they're I don't know uh, private secret I don't know. Mm-hmm. These are the these are the basis on which they create the the movie ratings, right? Like if there's yeah. explicit violence or explicit sexual scenes or um, or lots of substance abuse, then these are the things that you as I don't know an immature audience member should not be exposed to, and the same can happen in games, um, regardless of what age. The participant is in it's really a maturity of the topic and how it can be handled um so if your game explicitly deals with those topics it means that the participants of the experience need to know how to handle them but if your game doesn't involve them then why why run the risk of finding those players that can't handle that content so there is essentially what you're saying or part of what you're saying there is additions to the social contract made based upon the content of the game you have chosen. I, I think so. Um, it's the same reason that if you were to run a game at a con, they'll ask you about what kind of content is included in it and whether or not it's appropriate for children. Um, because I think the idea is that if you want to run a game that has 18 plus content, you need a certain person to play and participate in that game that can handle that content. 
and adjudicate into what that social contract should be for the participants at the table. Yeah. It, it, it all really comes down to what is the game about? Like yeah. if you're playing D and D and all of a sudden it becomes monster hearts. Well, are you really playing D and D? No, not really. Exactly. <laughs> so, but okay. I'm going to flip this around. Okay. And, and invoke the inversion of it, which is, you know, our society is riddled with puritanical veins running through it. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing with the, the TV ratings is they're, they're more concerned with um, veiling sexuality but they have no problem with the violence. Right. Right. And role-playing games. Similar. For better or worse, a lot of them have violence as a central theme. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Most, most games have some sort of violence, just very explicit with, if not implicit. Yeah. (laughs) So then that, Inversion begs the question, like, why are there not role-playing games that resemble romance novels? Well, there are, but yeah. they're not as prevalent. Yeah, it's, um, and I, the thing is, I can't answer that question, but, I mean. Uh, like, I, I, I kind of can. Okay, go <laughs> for it. Only because um, publishers aren't, haven't figured out how to market them to women yet. <clears throat> As a primary consumer of romance novels, it, it stands to reason they would be the primary consumers of romance RPGs as well. And it, it's probably just because um, this is such a new medium and l- like women haven't discovered the space in it yet as just a matter of time. Uh, well, and I think that's happening really quickly. New, like but now. I wouldn't say <laughs> it's, it's happening, new, but it's unrecognized. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the major publishers have not yet recognized. Um, and also, part of it is that, like, the audience for romance novels consume them individually. Yeah. So then we're back at the situation of, you know, 14-year-olds role-playing sex at each other. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the, it, Now it becomes, you know, 35-year-old unhappily married women role-playing sex at each other. What's weird about that? That seems reasonable. Yeah. I, I could definitely see that. As a thing <clears throat> I think like. there's an untapped market there, frankly. Yeah, I mean, I can't write that game because I'm not, I'm not that guy, but somebody could. I think, I think there is a space for those games that is coming. Um, there's the Romance Trilogy, which is published by Emily Kerboss, which is specifically looking at romance in role-playing games. Um, but it's in an indie market because... This is something that I think has a space, but because the hobby has predominantly been very male centric from its inception as wargaming to to now, um, I think it's slow to get to that point. But there will eventually be a time where other topics, like even horror, has been like a big uh, theme that's I guess slowly increased from the fantasy and science fiction dominant 
uh, topics. So horror has crept into like take up a bigger space in role playing games. I think romance will, and I think um, mysteries, like even the role playing rules that have come around with like uh, bubble gum shoe and um, different ways of of how do you participate in solving a mystery in a role playing game, um, which and is, also yeah, Go ahead. and also politics because there have been very few games that. Mm-hmm do politics. The only one I can think of is Legend of the Five Rings. Hmm. Okay, so I know several games that try to do politics in different ways, but it depends on how you define politics. Factions, basically. Yeah. The... <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, the, the that's an interesting question. I, you know, I don't, well, I want to push back on one thing you said, though, Mark. Um, I don't think it's happening that slowly. I think it's happening really quick. I think it's uh, <clears throat> for for how old the medium itself is and how fast it's gone from a uh, sort of adolescent to you know early thirties guy dominated thing to being a much mm-hmm. more um, to having a much more varied spectrum of people interested in the hobby. Right, has actually happened pretty damn quick in terms of like <clears throat> adoption. Like that's true. Like and vampire, more, vampire really and broke more that varied, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, vampire put a big crack in it. But mm-hmm. as the as the audience for what role playing is becomes more varied, that diversity will drive role playing into more central topic games. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as more people begin to recognize that D&D is not the only role-playing game, I think you'll have more people finding the games that resonate with them. Like the fact that Monster Hearts and the Romance Trilogy and Dread are finding uh, more and more of an audience thanks to different media, uh, whether it's Twitch or will wheaton's tabletop game show like indie rpgs are going to become more in vogue as the hobby as a whole grows okay so one thing unfortunately we still have to get the people moved through the crucible that is dnd what were you saying kevor i i've decided i since it came up somewhat uh vampire is a game that is more about in theory, if you're playing it how it wants to be played, it's a game that's more about politics than anything, and that's why uh, it's kind the kind of World of Darkness successor game I like, uh, Urban Shadows, which is very, very political in what it is, but it's not like what you would call political, like you're not running for a campaign, you're, but it is about politics, it's about a city, mm-hmm. and it's about the factions within the city, and it's about how they, how the people of the city rush up against each other and those are like the most important key things so why we call that a political game despite the fact but I know some people who would not define that as a political game well I cited L5R because it's the most overtly political game I could think of yes Uh that's fair Uh, actually as long as you're talking about political games uh, Spire which Grant Howitt recently wrote and if you haven't read it, it is is real good. Um, it's very political. Um, 
but oh yeah it is yeah i like that it's it's yeah it's really good i'm I'm guessing you would like it rob oh yeah yeah i in fact i i mean i that was one of the first games i ran in in uh third edition was a drow in the underdark you know uh rebelling against like the 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 surface dwellers type thing Hmm. and it was cool to have like see that idea like much more fully developed uh and and it it taken in a direction i totally would not expect <clears throat> yeah like so that was pretty cool i dug that I yeah mean, there, cool. yeah i okay does anyone have any final thoughts before we wrap this baby up mm. i think that was pretty good from my end did you feel that we adequately touched on everything about sexuality and uh sex and role playing so, I well, I think that might be a larger topic, but I I think we we've talked about it enough for the purpose of this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Also, I, what, I guess what I want to say before we move on is I don't think I've ever run a game where there wasn't at least one canon couple. So I don't know what to say about that. Other than uh. <clears throat> I have I have rarely done that. Generally. Especially because most of my games are longer, there's been some sort of coupling that arises. Oh no! What I meant by that is like developed over time, like yeah, yeah, yeah. either between NPCs or, in the, and I just found it like, no, regardless of the game, I guess I don't know. Maybe it's just the people I play with, but those things just happen. It's fine. <laughs> I will, for the record, Fred. For the record, I will say I have been a victim of sexual assault in the game's fiction, both as a player and a GM. So uh, there's that. Oh. Oh, dear. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, that doesn't weigh very heavily on my opinion on this. I'm just putting that out there. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, that wraps us up for this week. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, on that note. On, on that, that note, note uh, yeah, that, that wraps. Yep, We're dumpster fire. We're on that. brand, people. Nice job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Uh, we have been Flail Forward. Uh, thanks for listening, listener. Um, hope you have a great week. Uh, yep. Make things we can steal, please. And, uh, you know, design good games. Don't break the social contract if you don't have to. And think about making one in the first place. Yep. Also, uh, good good night. Later, nerds.